jasoncharles.net Deep talk, deep sounds. I've got so much work to do. This is Pieces of Work on jasoncharles.net This is Somi Pak, and I am a costume designer for mostly theater, but also film, TV, and commercials, and I am a freelance artist. My path to costume design, it was very complicated. I originally thought I was going to be a foreign service officer, and when that didn't pan out, I did the Midwest kid dream of going to a big city, New York City, and... I met someone at a bar, and he had a a theater company, and he one day said he didn't want to do costumes. And I looked to him, and I had no experience in costumes whatsoever. I've always enjoyed the theater. I've always been a music kid. I'm a musician. And I said, you know what? Let me do that for you. I want to do that. I want to be a part of something. I want to create something. And he was like, great, you have $100 for two shows. Go for it. And you're not getting paid. (laughs) So I took to it. I researched the time period. The time period was 1940s, 1940s and 50s. And I had so much fun interacting with the actors and kind of creating this world for the director. And then on opening night, when everything was coming together and the curtain rise and the curtain fell, I just realized, oh my God, this is it. This is the thing that I want to get up for in the morning. I've been searching so long for something to give me inspiration that made me want to pursue it for the rest of my life. And it was this costume design became that thing. And ever since then, I haven't looked back I haven't had any formal training. I just went with it continuously, looking at books, researching, talking to people in the industry, um, not only in costume design, but also wardrobe. All of that became my life's mission. I've always been into fashion as a kid. I think I'm the only third grader who invited her friends to her birthday party and the sleepover and screened Zeffirelli's La Traviata um, because I adored the costumes. Also, Domingo's voice and Strata's voice. But still, I was enamored with all of the costumes that actually the Torelli House, Torelli Costume House in Italy created. And ever since then, I've just drew ball gowns. For, For most of my childhood, I drew ball gowns and I loved looking at fashion, and my mother was also an amateur, you know, seamstress. She liked sewed clothing, and my grandmother sewed clothing. So I picked up a needle and thread when I was very young. And even in my time living in Korea, uh, they make the kids go through basic sewing class for at least a year. So I learned how to sew buttons, create bags, create a very, very simple smock. Um, in my curriculum at like fourth grade. So 
I've always had an avid interest in fashion, but like I said, never formally trained. I was born here in the United States, and then we moved over to Korea when I was in third grade, and then we left Korea when I was in sixth grade, around that time, and then I've been here ever since. I didn't start developing a very keen interest in Korean culture clothing or old Korean clothing like the hanbok style until later in my adult life. I've always been a little bit of a rebel when it comes to my ethnicity and my identity as an Asian woman. I was more enamored with Western fashion than I was with Eastern fashion. But I did enjoy the Eastern take on Western fashion in Korean street clothing when I grew up in Korea. But it wasn't until my adult life where, like, especially with the current political climate, where I, I really started taking a step back and thinking about my culture, my own culture, and how that evolved and seeing the influences now on Korean culture in Western society growing as well. So I, I feel like I, I've been going back to my roots, so to speak, to kind of look at the patterns and look at the color and why Korean hanbok has changed from back way back when until like now, the modern take of it now. It's still an ongoing battle for me. I feel like I should respect it more, but I think my first love really is European fashion. I love Dior, the new look from Dior in the 1950s. It's one of my favorite time periods. It's always been a goal of mine to be the best at 1950s, or at least know the most about 1950s fashion. So I've been reading about it, like, hungrily. And I also love the 18th century fashion of, like, Marie Antoinette, late 1700s. Those are also one of my favorite periods for clothing because it's just ornate. I, I do love the ornateness of late 1700s and I love the lines and the structure of the mid to late 1950s. I've been doing costume design professionally for five years now. I've just had really good fortunate connections I know myself, and I'm always very grateful that I've been very lucky. I think uh, right after I was going to pursue costume design, I had an internship with Ann Roth on Broadway for Shuffle Along, and that was the most intense, most incredible high that I possibly could ever get. It was amazing working under someone who is renowned. I mean, she designed the birdcage. She's designed the Book of Mormon. She's designed everything. She is one of the hardest working costume designers in the industry now. And I look up to her. She's inspiring. I also feel the reason why I was able to break in so easily was that for me, I was open to any opportunity. Not only just design work, but I also opened up myself for wardrobing work, which is different. The difference between costume design and wardrobe is I always liken it to an architect versus a builder. The costume designer comes in and creates this world within the director's vision. And she creates the designs, she 
essentially states this is what is going to happen. This person's going to wear this in this scene. This person is going to wear this in this scene. And this is how it's all going to transition together. And wardrobing, they are the crew that comes in after all the designs are created. They execute that vision. They come in, they make sure that all the garments are prepared, that nothing is out of place. And then they essentially take over after the designer has left. So once the show opens, they are tasked with maintaining the clothing, dressing the actors. If there is like a rip here, a rip there, they they mend it. They are an incredibly important part of the process. And the wardrobing team also has a very intimate relationship with the actors because they are the ones dressing them and they will be there far after the designer has left. So by doing wardrobing and becoming intimate with the actors in a different way than a designer, it's just created more connection and more network for me. I'm also a stylist and have also worked New York Fashion Week and have worked in commercials. That's a whole different ball game, and it's a different eye, a different set of skills. The major differences between fashion styling and designing for a show is fashion is very much of the now and what's trendy now. It's a snapshot of a specific moment that the designer wants or the stylist wants to convey. Whereas I think within theater, TV, film, we're trying to tell a story. And although fashion also tells a story, but it's a very specific story, whereas the theater, film, TV story, we consider more variables, like the character. It's very important that I know the socioeconomic status of the character or the character psyche or how the character is feeling, and on top of which, what the director wants to see. I've had the good fortune of working with directors who have a clear vision, but still trust me in making my decisions. Some directors are very clear on what they want in their vision um, and how much historical accuracy means to them if I do a period piece. And there'll be certain times where I'll feel very strongly about a specific thing, because not only are designers people who recreate that time period, but we're also interpreting that time period. So something about that specific character, why I put that character in a blue garment versus a red garment, like that is what designers think about, like the psyche of the character and why I specifically chose that particular piece. I just finished for Hedge Pig Ensemble Theater, Mary Stewart, and it was a wonderful show. It was the fight between Mary Stewart and Queen Elizabeth I. In that show, the budget was tight, so we had to be creative. And it's one of those things when it comes to off-off-Broadway where it's fun to see how much you can do with very little money. <laughs> so what I decided to do was keep the two queens in period-inspired wear, and keep everybody else in a more modern suit or modern dress in this way to kind of show how trapped the two queens are um, in their role as women, but women leaders, and how easily that they were manipulated by the men of their court. And also to kind of 
jolt the audience back into the fact that this is happening now. Like, what's happening now with our political climate is what happened a long time ago. This is a tale as old as time. So that was a deliberate choice on my behalf. And then last year, I did a TV pilot for Melange. That was wonderful. It was my first time lead designing for TV. That starred uh, Morgan Fairchild and a slew of other wonderful actors. And that was intense. It was 17 actors, 17 principal, and then the rest were extra. And it was me and my two assistants. And we had two weeks to pull it off and multiple looks. That was hard. I think a lot of people think it's harder to do a show that is more fantastical. But to me, doing a show and trying to convey everyday life is much more difficult because you, you can't rely on flair. You have to rely on, okay, is this something that shows today, like an everyday man kind of look? Because if it's overly done, then it just looks kitschy. It just looks tacky, actually, on screen. So you have to be very mindful. And I think this is why I absolutely adore Anne Roth, because she is able to portray this world of characters and it doesn't look out of place. It doesn't look too flamboyant. It's just always natural. And I think that's really hard to do as a designer, is just creating looks that you could see in a snapshot corner of anywhere on the globe. Color is, I think, the most subjective element in theater and TV and film or in art altogether. There are no rules. I mean, there are rules, but they're always broken, depending on the designer, the director. I mean, obviously, red is always going to be the bold color. But what shade of red? Different shades of red evoke so many different things. And obviously, the director will also have a vision in what the world is supposed to look like. Is it going to be more grayish color versus a bright palette? And then also you have the scenic designer, the set designer, the lighting designer. So we all have our ideas of what light and color should be. I tend to be pretty heavy-handed with color. I do like dichotomies of color. I always, almost always love to put in blue and yellow in my show because I'm a big Michigan fan and always find some way to add blue and yellow to the protagonist <laughs> in some way. But color is very important, particularly for the designer, because it can evoke so many things. And for period pieces, it can evoke social status. For instance, like black back in the Elizabethan times were so hard, you had to put so much dye into it that black was only reserved for specific royalty. Also, colors mean different things in different cultures, so there's that aspect as well. White in Korea, in a more traditional setting, was for funerals and not for brides or weddings. I remember my mother hated it when I put something white in my hair because that almost always signified death. So she was very upset whenever I put white flowers in my hair or white bow in my hair. She would always say, no one's dying. Why are you putting things in your hair that are white? Uh, but color, you can make a statement with color so easily. You can jumble the audience's mind. 
with putting someone who is like an evil villain in a pink color. For instance, like the Mean Girls, they were all in pink. And pink is such a happy color, but then you feel this animosity that comes through. And so it kind of warps with what we assume colors to evoke. But then you kind of change it to something different. We're putting someone in a bright yellow dress, even though she's incredibly sad, and kind of getting that reaction. So color can be warped, changed, broken in so many different ways. It's one of the most versatile things that a costume designer has to his or her disposal. It's very deliberate. So I sometimes actors would be like, why am I in this color? And I'm like, I promise you, I've spent 17 hours thinking about why I put you in this color. There will be specific characters or specific moments where I have to have this color. It can't be a little bit more blue or a little bit more yellow. Like, I have to have this exact shade or I will die. The most satisfying part of a project for me is in the fitting room, where we find exactly that specific costume that we were sourcing or that we were designing it all comes together in the fitting room because you see the actors eyes light up and they they feel comfortable to get into character there's a specific memory for me where we got a dress for a character and she began twirling around in it because she was so happy finding that one garment that will make the actor feel great and get into character easily. That moment for me is almost always the most satisfying part of the process. And I've heard various different interview accounts and historical accounts of Edith Head and how much she made the actor feel like they were the most important person in that room. You know, beyond the director and possibly the choreographer, the costume designer and the wardrobe crew are the most intimate with the actor. Every time I'm with the actor, I have the honor of coming into a space that's very vulnerable for them because they have to undress in front of me and I have to create this look that makes them feel like their character. And I strive to be like Edith Head, where I make my actor feel like he or she is the most important person in the room. And also making my actor feel beautiful because I think this industry breaks down a lot of our self-esteem, and especially for the actors. And if I could be that person that makes them feel amazing, that's, that's amazing for me. And I think that's what Edith Head did to all her actors. No one is going to ever overshadow that woman. <laughs> My biggest piece of advice for anybody who's wanting to pursue this industry is to always look for new avenues of pursuing this dream. There isn't just one path to get somewhere. There are multiple paths. And by opening yourself up to not just design, to wardrobe, to styling, to everything, you create a new network, a more powerful network, something that makes you inherently you. But just being humble and being grateful and showing up for people. I think this industry is so much about relationships and connections. People may not remember your name, but they remember how you made them feel. In the fitting room, if it's during a production meeting, it doesn't matter, they remember, and then they pass your name along. 
or they, they want to see you succeed because of how you made them feel. When I was with Anne Roth, I was sure to ask, what's the biggest piece of advice that you would give a new costume designer? And she said several things, but the thing that stuck out to me the most was, don't give a about anybody else. Just care about you and be the most authentic version of you. No one is paying for anybody else but you. Don't compare yourself to anybody else. You can only be you, and you only have the tools that are at your disposal. So if you're trying to be anybody else, people are going to know that. So just be you, design the way that you would design, and everything else will fall into place. She also, she says, be open to learning new things and continuously reading, taking pictures. She encouraged me to have a diary, and if I saw a scrap of fabric that I thought was beautiful, just to take it and stick it in the book. She told me to take Polaroids of anything that I saw that remotely interested me and just to keep learning. And I think that was also a piece of advice that my father said, and so I've really kept that to heart till this day. My current next project is actually at New York Comic Con every year. This is, I think, my fourth year. Every year I go to New York Comic Con and I dress up as a nurse and I fix costumes. I fix cosplay. So that has also been one of the biggest highlights of my year. It's uh, something I do completely free. I stock my kit for free. I do it out of the kindness of my heart. I go and I sit at New York Comic Con for... I don't know, eight hours a day. And I welcome anybody who comes whose costume breaks or rips or just they're distraught. And I, I help them there free of charge. And it's been a very amazing experience to be at Comic-Con, um, especially because it's an international big event. Everybody comes and even flying domestically, people spend so much time and energy on their cosplays and they get there and something rips and they can't carry a huge kit around with them. And the relief they see when I have a needle and thread or I have hot glue or I have tape is one of the best feelings in the world because they were like, I've spent... $600 on this costume that I made and everything is broken and I'm so upset and I'm like don't worry I've got you I can I can fix this so I'll quick whip stitch certain things so that they can be on their merry way uh, there was a particular young cosplayer she was crying because she wanted to have a photo with I think it was one of the doctor who was David Tennant maybe and she had spent enormous amount of money on the photo package but her hat broke and she came up to me sobbing and I was like calm down I got hot glue do not worry we got this and we fixed it she was so happy that she brought her mother to introduce her mother to me people who I helped in the past come back just to say hi they'll introduce me to their friends They'll introduce me to the family, and they're like, oh my god, this woman helped me three years ago. She was so nice. And I just sit there and wait, and this is one of the best things I do every year. And every year, it grows. The number grows. So I would absolutely love to do 
Guys and Dolls. <laughs> Only because I love that time period and I love the musical. I usually think of my dreams in time periods or specific pieces or shows. One of my exercises that I do when I'm when I have some downtime is to create a world within a, a well-known piece. Like I've done one for Music Man, I've done one for Les Mis, but Guys and Dolls has always been a show that I've always wanted to create. Cinderella is also another one. And for me, as as you know, 1950s or 40s, I would love to do a TV show or a film or a new Broadway musical within that period. I also would love to do a big TV or film that would create a fandom, such as like Star Wars, something fantastical that I get to be, well, I and the director get to be the creators of. I've always loved Star Wars. I think, you know, you look at a Stormtrooper helmet, you know exactly where that's from. You look at a lightsaber, you know exactly where that's from. You see Princess Leia's bikini, you know exactly where that's from. I would love to do a nerd fandom piece in my career one day where I create a world and I get to choose why each character has this specific thing and why this person has this color, like Game of Thrones, for instance. Just have this look and feel for each character that I would just love to do. And those are kind of my three, three to four bucket list items for the rest of my life. I have a website, www.somipak.com. I'm also on Instagram at uh, somipak. Within my Instagram account, I also have Cosplay911, which is my Comic-Con Nurse Patchett cosplay Instagram. I have always thought that I could separate myself from my work, and I can't, unfortunately. So sometimes I find that I have to go see a show twice or see the TV or movie twice because I watch it and I uh, immediately think, oh, why is that person in that costume? That's kind of odd. Or why did that designer choose that? Or all these things where I'm not paying attention to the storyline. So I have found that I have to see a show twice because it almost always drives me insane because I'm trying to listen to the story, I'm trying to listen to the dialogue, but either the dress is magnificent and I can't keep my eyes off it, or one of the choices I absolutely don't understand and trying to understand why the designer made that choice. And so I miss half of the dialogue and half of the plot. So that's an occupational hazard, I suppose. <laughs> You've been listening to Pieces of Work on jasoncharles.net. JasonCharles.net. Deep talk, deep sounds. That was so deep.